Welcome to the Investor Coaching Show, a podcast to help you get an insider's view of the financial world and escape common investment traps. We look at the financial news of the day and help you make sense of it so you can relax about money. And here's your host, Paul Winkler. So freedom means you got choices and uh, choices mean you got to think about some things if you want to make a good choice so that you don't make a bad one. And uh, oftentimes that involves the retirement plan at your employer. And Dan, it sounds like you're mad about something. <laughs> yes. And mostly my mad segments are the fact that the, the choices that your employer or more importantly, the lack thereof. Yeah. So way back, and I was meant to ask you this before the show, but whenever, when was the Enron thing? Uh, because it was a result of the Enron thing that these target funds, lifestyle funds came to fruition. Um, yeah, I forget. So it was it was 80s, I think, but I'd have to look. But but anyway, because, uh, you know, I'll rush, refresh your mind real quick. All the Enron folks had all the money in Enron because whatever company you work at is the greatest company in the world, whether it be GM, Anheuser Bush, or whatever. And they all lost pretty much all their retirement savings. Uh, because of the lack of diversification. So out come the target funds. And the target funds are allocated by professionals, for those of you who work and make beer for a living or do electricity for a living or whatever it is you make cars for a living because you don't know enough about investing, so we'll do it for you. And I get very frustrated because everything that we talk about on the show and that Paul has talked about on the show for decades yeah. is – 70 years of academic research that says, you know, you, if you allocate this way and diversify this way, you're going to get, you know, be better off risk and return wise. So I had a uh, recent meeting with a new client that came in, got a new job, and he, he has 23 choices to choose from on his 401k. Ten of those are target funds. Now, the target funds are designed for this kid call him kid like Emerson, 35 right. years old, wants to retire when he's 65. So that's 30 years from now. So if we had 30 to 2023, then it would be uh, 2063, but they're in five-year increments. So 2065 would be his target fund. And therefore, it's diversified uh, that he has that 30-year time horizon so he can take a little bit more risk. We'll have more in equities than we have in fixed income, which are for stability and safety. Well, those funds do not follow the those academic rules. So, you know, we and we see these every day. It doesn't matter what company it is, okay? They overweight US versus international and the the math is the math. This math is simple. We do it. The US uh, represents about 50 a little more than half of the world market cap. Right. So the other the rest of the uh, the world makes up the other half. So I always say, because I'm a car nut guy, besides a sports nut guy, it's not all Chevrolet, Chrysler, and Ford. We got to have some Mercedes and some BMW and some Nissan and some Hyundai, since we have a big Nissan building outside of our window. <laughs> uh, you know, so just th that's what we see. A lot of overweight in U.S. versus international. Then we see a lot of overweight in large versus small. When uh, we mentioned it earlier today, small usually outperforms large. 80 plus percent of the time, okay? And yet, you know, it's it's very much, in this particular portfolio um, that his life path fund, 30, uh, 40 some percent in U.S. large and in small, like less than six, okay? Wow. Yeah. Six percent. Yeah. And, um, and, and then, then just a little side note, 
a little a little another five percent of extra technology, which you mentioned earlier. Oh boy. Yeah, let's throw five more percent in technology, like we don't have enough already in the in the large cap. Yeah, that's what group. already the the, the top thirty percent of the S and P anyway. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and and then the, the the third factor in the factor investing is value versus growth. Value being companies in distress, and again, mostly all growth, but about four to one, and value about five percent in value. So that makes me mad when I see this. So then we go, we don't want to do that. So let's eliminate those ten funds, and what do we have left? That leaves us with what twelve? Thirteen. Thirteen. Okay. Not, <laughs> 23 minus 10. There 13. we go. Okay. And then uh, we got a pretty nice bond fund here. And we have a, um, so I'll bring throw this in there. One of them's not a nice bond fund. It's the, I oh, can't say no. Anyway, high yield. <laughs> I don't want to say the name. Paul will get me. <laughs> He'll break a drum set. Uh, high yield, high risk. Not what we want on the bond side. Stability and security. Okay. So two decent bond funds to pick from. Okay. And then um, large U.S., two to pick from. Um, small, three to pick from, and then international, three to pick one. Okay. And, and it's because they actually have emerging markets in there. Good. Okay? okay. And then if we drill down a little bit more, going back to the target fund, it has about 6,500 6, companies in there. And we know in our portfolios, there's over 20,000 companies worldwide that we're invested in if you want to own the market. And so just those things frustrate me right. and make me angry. And we always tell folks, look, we're going to make the best chicken salad sandwich we can, uh, the chicken feathers you have to pick from in your fun. <laughs> so it, it's, it, and it happens every week. So right. it's another story like that every week that I share when I come on from my mad segment. Yeah, it's, and it's unfortunate. Uh, you know, there's research that's been done on the whole 401k market because that's something we're looking at kind of ex expanding uh, for the firm um, as much as anything as a defense for capitalism and letting people know that, you know, it's a good thing that your employer is bringing this plan on. And, you know, studies show that employees don't seem to value a retirement plan as much as other benefits, but they really should, kind of like we were yeah. talking about the military earlier uh, with, the, with the thrift savings plan. But – uh, a lot of the research shows that the more choices they have, I mean, at least they have 23. Yeah. But the more choices they have, the less likely someone is to actually take action and and pick one. If they have 23 choices, they're going to say, oh, I retire in 25 years. Boom. I'm going to do the target date fund. They right. just don't tend to expend the energy or the time to, to think it through. Right. And. That's not their world. Uh, you know, we uh, talked about, you know, Air Force Sun fixing jet engines. I don't know how to fix a jet engine. My son does. But, you know, he could hand me the manual. I wouldn't I wouldn't know which wrench to pick up, right? Right. But he doesn't know how to allocate a portfolio. Right. But I do that for him. But the other thing, too, earlier I was thinking, as you were talking during some of the, it's not that difficult. Paul shared with me one time before I came on the show with him that a head of a major mutual fund company said the reason we don't yeah. put this value proposition and this size proposition where companies in distress are going to do better 80% of the time, companies that are smaller are going to do, is we don't think people can get it. Yeah. And that's where we differ. Is we, th we know we can teach you these things. It's not that difficult. It's not like fixing a jet engine. Right. It's, you know, you can drill down that 70 years of, to very simple, easy and understandable to, to people on main street. Yep, for sure. 
And uh, again, it's the principles that you you need to understand and you want to be able to understand so that you have confidence and peace of mind. You don't need to know which way to screw the bolt and all that kind of stuff, but but you want to know the principles. And so, you know, kind of thinking about some of this stuff, excuse me, with with these interest rate increases, you know, mortgage rates have gone up and so forth. And uh, now we're starting to see banks compete for your money again. You know, money market accounts. I get postcards now in the mail from, you know, various regional banks, large banks, uh, you know, what you call it, billboards with, you know, hey, they're actually posting CD rates again as opposed to you got to dig through, you know, you got to ask the teller what their rates are and they got to go look for them. Now they're kind of fighting over the money. So it's, it's an interesting thing. Uh, another article from the Wall Street Journal, everyone wants interest on their deposits, but that's bad for Main Street banks. And so, you know, why is that? Well, when rates were so low, these banks were maybe paying, let's just, you know, let's be generous. Let's say they were paying half a percent that's very on generous. cash. You know, that's probably <laughs> generous, you know, and some of these Small banks were getting bought up. Regional banks were starting to acquire and so forth because it was so cheap. Well, now that interest rates have risen, now banks are having to pay more because banks, what do they lend? Money. I mean, that's really, you know, they don't make any money on your deposit. They're paying you interest. They're losing money. Now, banks aren't losing money. Right. In general. Some are. Yeah. But now... They have to pay you maybe 3 or 4% for you to put your cash in the bank so that they can loan it out. Well, previously, they were paying you like a half a percent and loaning it out at 5, let's say. So that's a 4.5% spread. That's a pretty good deal. Now they got to pay you 4, and maybe they're loaning it out at 7, 7.5. Well, now that's only a 3.5% spread. And it was an interesting thing. You know, when we talk about inflation, we generally think about Okay, gas costs more per gallon or eggs, you know, eggs are $12 a dozen, you know, whatever they went to, milk. I, I bought uh, a carton of whipped cream, you know, a few months back for my wife. It was like $10 for a quarter of whipped cream. I about died. <laughs> the cashier said, you find everything you need. And like, well, I wanted cheaper whipped cream, but this is the one I got. <laughs> yeah. And uh, But uh, a chief executive, Mike Daniels at a bank, said our raw material costs just went up 600%. So you think about that. Interest is kind of the bank's raw material cost. It's yeah, interesting. It, it went from a half a percent to 3%. That's a 600% increase in the bank's expenses. Right. You know, well, that's going to come out of somebody's pocket. And so some of these banks, you know, now their costs have gone up. Inflation has hit them. And they were thinking, well, as interest rates come back, hey, now we're going to really flourish. This is going to be good for Main Street. And, you know, they were expected to be able to increase the rate on their loans as fast as increasing the rate on the money that they're paying you to keep their cash there. And that's not happening. Kind of the opposite is happening. And now banks are really fighting for cash so that, number one, they can cover their reserve requirements. They all are now running scared because, you know, the interest rate increase caused some of the bank's bond portfolios to decrease, like Mm -hmm. Silicon Valley Bank, and all of a sudden – everybody's padding their balance sheet because they're worried, which is good. We want banks to be conservative. Yeah, go ahead. I mean, I want banks to be conservative about, you know, their customers or, you know, accounts. 
what are you telling me? Are the banks trying to loan to well, get a loan from another or or they're they're the actually they're actually to, doing mm-hmm. both. So you know when we deposit money in a bank, let's just, you know let's just keep it real simple. Like you know as Paul does, you know talk to me like I'm a third grader, <laughs> you know and. Let's I say, thought it was fifth grade. Why do you say third? <laughs> it's Paul. Anyway. That's right. He's a fifth grader. I'm a third grader. He, he's got to really dumb it down for me. And so let's say you put $1,000 in a bank. Well, the bank then, you know, lends a big portion of that $1,000 or, you know, some people would say multiples of that $1,000 out. They charge 5%, let's say, on a car loan and they pay me one. Okay. But they have to keep a certain amount of that money available because if a bunch of people decide to buy cars, buy houses, send their kid to college, they've got to, you know, if you write a check, the check's got to clear. You know, they've got to keep some of that handy. And banks, when the bond prices dropped, all of a sudden they were having to borrow money from the Fed to have enough reserves to make sure that the Fed didn't close the banks or something like that. They had to kind of cover their cover the exposure that they got. And that's hurting these smaller banks, you know, some of the large banks, they've got deep enough pockets and, you know, you figure, um, figure the investment banks, or we were talking about, you know, the scam that came from a, you know, a fake so know bank of America, yeah, not the real America, bank, U.S. bank, um, U.S. bank. Well, not even, Wells I guess Fargo. U.S. bank, Wells Fargo, uh, Chase, those kind of things. I they try not have, to go to Wells they have securities trading. They, you know, they're issuing, they're underwriting, you know, issues on wall street and so forth. They have a lot of fee revenue, that a community bank doesn't have, all right? They're they're loaning money for cars and that kind of stuff. And so they're really getting squeezed. Well, here's another interesting piece an econ- uh, in the article. Any economic downturn or trouble in commercial real estate would only heighten the strain. Well, what are we seeing now? Trouble in the commercial real estate. So the community banks are really hurting and, you know, people use community banks because they're the ones that pay for Little League and they fund the parades and so forth. I mean, they're, they're a community bank. And a lot of people have been moving to smaller communities because of COVID. You've got more of this telecommuting and they might have left downtown. <laughs> Nashville would be the exception right, to that. Right. <laughs> but, you know, now they're moving to the community and, out, you know, out into the hinterlands and some of those banks are really struggling. And so... When we were talking about, you know, commercial real estate, uh, Paul often, you know, we talk about REITs a lot, real estate investment trusts, just kind of a package product that, you know, instead of a mutual fund buys a bunch of stocks, you have a REIT that buys a bunch of properties. Well, uh, something caught my eye. It says a hotel REIT says it will likely return 19 properties to the lenders. And it's part of a $982 million mortgage pool. And this story, I think, was on the the station earlier uh, that one of the big hotels in downtown San Francisco just said, we're done. We're going to give the hotel back to the bank. We're just tired of fighting the city. And this is going on a lot. And this is the same thing with this particular uh, Ashford Hospitality Trust is basically returning 19 hotels. And uh, the same thing is actually happening on the Texas A&M campus or near that. There was a REIT that uh, had a housing development, and they've missed two payments now. So these community banks are going to be struggling in what should be a good environment. Hey, guys, if you want specific advice for your unique situation, 
Schedule a free 15-minute phone chat with one of our trusted advisors by going to paulwinkler.com forward slash call. We don't sell any products and our advisors don't make any commissions, so this isn't a sales call. We have a coaching process that helps you understand investing and relax about money. Don't put blind trust in anyone with your financial assets. We want to partner with you in the process so you know what you're doing and why. We manage assets on a fee-only basis, which means that when you do well, we do well, which aligns our interests with yours from the start. We also bring you into the financial planning process that gives you a clear plan so you can find the freedom to pursue your purpose. All our advisors are degreed planners too, with years of experience. So schedule a free 15-minute phone call with an advisor by going to paulwinkler.com forward slash call. Uh, if you have questions or you know want to schedule time to get together with one of the coaches around the 10 offices that we have, feel free to call 615-851-1950. That'll reach all the offices. Wanted to close with some good news for this segment uh, and found a study on uh, the 2023's tax burden by state. So we talk a lot about you know Uncle Sam and them taking their cut, but let's look at the state taxes. And, you know, a lot of us have chosen Tennessee for a reason, and we'll see that it was a good one. Um, one simple ratio that we can look at is known as the tax burden. And so uh, this study looks at the 50 states, looks at their income tax rates, looks at sales tax, property tax, uh, those kind of things. And it just ranked the states, you know, from one to 50 of the most overburdened states uh, from a tax standpoint. So I won't put you on the spot too much, but what do you think's the worst one? This would be a surprise, by the way. What do you oh. think's the worst state in terms of overall total tax burden? I would say New York. It is New York. Absolutely. Okay. I would have thought it was New York or California. Right. California is actually number 12. Oh, I, that really surprised me. Yeah. <laughs> New York was number one. Hawaii was number two. Oh, wow. I lived in Hawaii for four years when I was stationed at Kaneohe Bay. But Why are they uh, picking on Hawaii? Well, I guess they just have really high, uh, it's their high, um, looks like sales tax and something else as a percentage of income. Okay. So it's interesting, this how they rank this, they looked at the average incomes in these states and the total dollars of tax. And so if you're in kind of a relatively low income state like Hawaii, you know, you know, it's kind of a tourist thing, but that's not a lot of engineers, programmers, that kind of stuff. It's a lower income state, so any tax burden is kind of a high risk. The good news, Tennessee was number 47. So there was only a few states better than us. Alabama was 39 and Kentucky was a little bit less. Hey, this is Paul Winkler. Hope you enjoyed today's edition of the Investor Coaching Show. You want to learn more about what we do, go to our website, paulwinkler.com. You can watch some of the videos there. And if you're not already a client, you can set up a free initial consultation. Until next time, I'm Paul Winkler, reminding you that I believe that more educated investors are more confident investors, and confident investors are more successful investors. Have a great one. Advisory services offered through Paul Winkler, Inc., an SEC-registered investment advisor. The opinions voiced and information provided in this material are for general informational purposes only and not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what investments are appropriate for you, please consult with a financial advisor. Paul Winkler, Inc. does not provide tax or legal advice. Please consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your particular situation.